but I have a job to do every single day. I have energy to bring every single day, whether they're in a 10 game losing streak or a 10 game winning streak. And someone, and it's more than one person, even if it's three in the morning and, and, and there's been all these rain delays. And we had a game that finished at 3.14 in the morning once too. And I think I made the mistake of saying, is anybody even awake? My Twitter blew up. Someone's always watching. And as long as someone's always watching, you, you have a chance to make an impact on their life. Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, 15-year NFL and NBA business exec and best-selling author of The Power of Playing Offense. In my journey, I have discovered that there are two types of people in this world. The difference between elite performers and the rest of the pack, or what I like to call those that play offense versus those that play defense. Defense, always on their heels. Offense, on our toes. Defense, playing not to lose. Offense, playing to win. Defense, the market dictates the terms. Offense, we operate on our terms. Playing with purpose, playing with passion, and taking control of our future. So now, the question is, how do you want to play? And here on the Playmakers Podcast, we play offense 10 out of 10 times. As we ramp up toward today's episode, pull out your notepad so you can capture all the action so we can make plays and level up together. Playmakers, it's about that time to welcome Joel Goldberg into the conversation. Joel is a TV broadcaster for the Kansas City Royals author of Small Ball Big Results, and highly sought-after speaker on how companies can make culture their competitive advantage. In his 25 years as a broadcaster, Joel has earned Emmy Awards while covering Super Bowls, World Series, and interviewing megastars from all walks of life, including Will Ferrell and Wayne Gretzky. But his greatest interview may have come while hosting his own podcast, Rounding the Bases, In episode 633, when he talked playing offense on purpose with yours truly. Definitely check it out. All jokes aside, I hope you are as fired up for today's conversation as I am. And as a reminder, many of the key takeaways of today's show can be found in the show notes on PlaymakersPod.com. With that, let's welcome Joel into the Playmakers Podcast. Joel, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? I'm doing all right. How are you, Paul? I'm fantastic, bro. And so fired up to have you on. I'm sure many Playmakers out there. Maybe we got some Playmakers in KC, so diehard Royals fans. But for everybody else, uh, you're talking to the voice of the Royals. So if he sounds a little deeper than me and he's got that radio voice, that is exactly why. So, Joel, let me ask you this, bro. Small ball, big results. That was a major, major milestone for you. That was something that I know you were super proud of. You're inspiring audiences all over the world. We've cracked open the book, many of us. What was that initial light that led to writing the book? You know, it came up, all, all, a lot of this came up accidentally. And, and then I'll I think that the the message here for everyone is that I, I'm a strong believer in you know not putting the cart before the horse and and trying to be as organic as possible, as real as possible with everything I do. And so the very short of the story is that I've, I've been in TV for 26 years now, but four years ago um, I went on the journey of becoming a, a a speaker, like a motivational speaker, talking about culture and leadership. I just had never lived in the the quote unquote real world that, you know, they pay me to talk about sports and most recently for years, baseball. And so I just never really looked outside that lane, figured out that it was something that I could do and that I was interested in. And that, that as you know, there are a lot of messages from sports that really translate into the boardroom and the businesses and, and all that. And everyone told me when I decided to do this, that you need to write a book. 
And the cart before the horse part to me is that I was ready to say, okay, if that's what it takes to be a speaker, I'll write a book. And I don't think that's the right reason. And so I ended up tabling it and actually starting my podcast, which you're coming on too, because that was something that I was comfortable doing. And that was an opportunity for me to extend my brand, build some content, meet some new people beyond the baseball world. And then the book happened later. And and so the I think the message to me is that while everyone told me I needed a book and, and, and I understood that I needed one, I wasn't going to do one just for the sake of doing one and pulling it out of nowhere. And it took time over a few years of really building content and understanding that, hey, this, this is something that I can write about. I could write about the little things that add up to the big results that take place in every facet of life. And so it took time. And, and really during the pandemic, I wrote it. And I'm still not sure that I believe I'm an author, but it's, it's a cool thing. <laughs> so if I love that. So if the common theme here is that small things are going to add up to big results, Let's start with the small things because every single playmaker out there, I, I always say that rather than just trying to, to use a baseball analogy, swing for the fences every single day of life, I, that might be a flawed approach. And frankly, it might lead to a lot of disappointment because, you know, not every day has that opportunity for us to always be, quote unquote, hitting those grand slams. Sometimes it's the bunt that just gets you to first base to give yourself a chance. And so if I was to ask you a few, two to three of those smaller details, those smaller things that you hold tried and true, they're pure to your character, and you think every single playmaker should be implementing in their lives, what are a few that you could share with us? Well, I, to me, everything starts with people. And I know that that is such an obvious statement, but we all can get so locked into our own progress, our own results, our own sales, our own you know wins on the football field or the baseball diamond. And and I think that all of that is a product of the little things. I mean, I, I like the home run analogy for this reason. How often in my world, I think I hear it every day, but I mean, as a fan, how often do you hear a player say, I wasn't trying to hit the home run. It just happened. And look, sometimes those guys swing for the fences. And sometimes in life, you do need to swing for the fence. Hey, here's the moment and I have to do that. But generally, you put yourself in a spot for those moments by not swinging big and setting up all of the groundwork. And so that puts you in the position. So to me, it starts with people. And here's a pretty good example. I mean, I just, before we started this podcast, I just went out to lunch with a, with the vice president of a bank that I was introduced to a big bank here in Kansas city, a guy that's been in it forever, very successful. We were connected by someone else. And I, I think that, you know, initially his thought was, boy, what's he trying to sell me? And he realized pretty quickly, I wasn't trying to sell him anything. And I made that very clear to him from the get-go, too. I have no idea what's going to come from this conversation. I trust the person that connected us. Look, if we ever do business one day, and business may mean a speech for me, business may mean something else. I don't even know. Let's see if there's some synergy with us. I have no ask for you. I'd like to get to know you. I'd like for you to get to know me. And so I think one of the biggest pieces of small ball uh, and, and, and enabling yourself to hit those home runs or, or score those victories later on is just being real with people, not having, being intentional with the way you go about building that trust, but not necessarily having an ask and seeing where that takes you later and, and, and exploring that instead of getting too far ahead of yourself. And this applies to me, to everything in life. And I, I've said this a million times and I'll, I'll keep saying it, that when I walk into a baseball clubhouse, which doesn't happen right now with the pandemic, but let's just say when I walk down onto the field and I could talk to guys during batting practice, my number one goal every day is not, I have to get this. My number one goal is when I walk out there, or I walk in, I don't want them walking the other way. And, and you can ruin that in a moment when someone says to you in whatever field that you're in, okay, what, what is he or she up to? What's their agenda here? Ugh, I don't want to talk to them. Oh, I don't want to deal with this. But when you understand that, that, that you, when they understand that you're safe and that you can recognize uh, when's a good time, when's a wrong time, um, when you can do that, you can go a lot of places. So that's number one where it all starts for me is how you treat people, uh, how, how you put them in a spot to feel secure. And, and, and it's a big picture everyday thing. You have to do this every single day. So good. So good. So here's where we're going to go, because I like you, when I hear the words people first, 
I think unfortunately in the world, it's become a bit of a bumper sticker, to be honest. I think it's what companies say, it's what we pride our team on, but if you follow their daily decisions, actions, and behaviors, you don't always see it backed up. It's what people say when things are convenient and comfortable. I have an origin story on where my version of people first came, and then I wanna ask what yours is, because. There's a reason you're so passionate about this belief in people and building trust and building connection. So for me, go back elementary school. I remember having a friend, Vicente, that literally uh, is silly me. I came from a middle class family. And when I say silly me, I thought that everybody had access to the same resources in life. I'm in elementary school at this time. And I always noticed that while he was my best friend, there was always a pause before buying lunch, right? There was always this pause of, hey, you want to go get a haircut with me? And it was always a no. But then now looking back when things didn't have economics attached to it, it was always a yes. I was too young to connect the dots. But once I learned of his journey, of his story, of his parents' upbringing, of just his socioeconomic piece, that is where I found a soft spot to say that everybody matters. We all deserve a seat at the table. Money should not be the determining factor of what opens or closes doors, even though sometimes the world acts that way. I refuse to subscribe to that philosophy, but I had an origin story of where it came from. So for you, why are you so passionate about a people first message? It's a, it's a great question. And I, I wish I could dig back as far back as, as you did. First off, I'm older than you, so that means I forget more. And uh, I like don't date yourself, you know. No, I'm dating myself. I mean, even if I wasn't, <laughs> I, you know, you, you mentioned something about radio. I got a face for radio and they keep putting me on TV. Uh, but seriously, um, th this is, I think, I mean, it's my signature story in most of my speeches there, there are other, there, there are a few others that I love equally, but I think this was the game changer for me, and it was a game changer for me certainly as a reporter, and also just in life, and and now too living a lot in the corporate world with my speaking and in the way that, and you you know this, Paul. I mean, the way that you deal with executives or the highest level people. So I, I say this because. All of us at some point in life, if not now, have struggled to connect with someone that we'd really like to connect with that that maybe we feel like is too big of a reach for us. And, and what we either give up or we go about it the wrong way. And we all have a mistake, I believe, of putting people on a pedestal when it's not necessary. That doesn't mean that that you can't respect them, but it means that I think sometimes we get a little bit out of our minds and make someone into something that they're not because of their success. So the story is this, and I'll try to give you the shorter version, is that I was lucky enough, I worked in St. Louis before I came to Kansas City for about nine and a half years, not just baseball too. I mean, I covered two Super Bowls back when when St. Louis had a football team. Uh, I covered <laughs> a lot of great NHL post-playoff uh, hockey teams, and I covered a lot of great baseball too. And I was there the day that Albert Pujols broke into the big leagues. Now I'm dating myself. I mean, this is 20 years ago. And we knew right from the start that he was he was special. We had no idea that he'd be one of the greatest players. I mean, I argue that he's the greatest player in my um, in my career, for sure. I mean, if I just to throw a number around, he's one of four players in the history of baseball with at least 600 home runs and 3,000 hits. And the others are A-Rod, Willie Mays, and Hank Aaron. So, you know, there's a lot of royalty there. It took me, Paul seven years to figure out how to connect with him because I went about it all wrong. And no one teaches this in school, certainly in journalism school. I don't know if they teach it in business school is that I always had an ask, you know, and this is back to the whole people thing and, and sitting down with someone. So what was my ask to Albert? It wasn't anything big. It was for an interview. Hey, do you have time for this? Do you have time for that? And most of the time he said, no. And you know, in my last three years in St. Louis, I was that sideline guy that that would do the the walk off uh, interview at the end of the game, the start of the game. And that most nights at that point, you know, Albert Pujols has now surpassed Barry Bonds as the best player on the planet. It's obvious that when he hits two home runs, he's the only guest. And I'm asking him, you know, hey, can you do the the interview as the team's walking off the field? And he says no. Uh, and, and by the way, you can't turn to the guy behind him in the handshake line and say, can you do it? Because he looks at you and says, he, he already said no. You, you, I wasn't even your first choice. So yeah. 
you know, I'm living my dream being on TV and doing everything I always wanted to do. And I got a producer in my ear saying, who do you got for us? And I got to tell them, we don't have an interview today. And so where everything changed for me, this was the, this was the moment was that my last year in, in St. Louis in 2007, I walked up to Albert. He had actually done an interview recently with me. Then the next day, kind of cold shoulder again. And so I'm thinking, I'm not getting any leverage here. We're in Houston. And I said, Albert, can I talk to you about something in private? And he said, sure. Uh, no camera, no interview. I, I, don't, I don't need anything from you other than your advice. See, and this is one that we forget. People like, if you're not annoying about it, again, reading the room, reading people, if you don't bug the crap out of people, but you value their opinion, how often do we ask someone's opinion and say, hey, I want to know what you think about this because I respect you. Albert, for those that don't know, his family had moved from the Dominican to the, to the United States and to New York when he was 16, and they quickly ended up in the Kansas City area because they had family. So he went to high school and junior college in Kansas City, and I had this opportunity to go to Kansas City. And I said to him, Albert, uh, I want your advice. Nobody knows about this. Like, it's top secret, but what do you think about Kansas City? I have this opportunity. And he said to me, it's a great place to raise a family. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. I can't tell you if it's a better job or not. And your secret's safe with me. Let me know what happens. And and to fast forward to, to the end of it, uh, two weeks later, I got the job. We're in Milwaukee. I'm going to move to Kansas City next year. I tell him, he says, let me take you out to lunch to celebrate. And now I'm sitting face to face with the greatest player in the world, eating eating food in the back of a Puerto Rican grocery store. And um, I don't know what we ordered. He ordered it in Spanish. And um, it was a surreal experience because I didn't like this guy three weeks before that. And the, the final piece of it is that over the years, as I always got the one-on-one ones with him when he'd go to Anaheim and he would do anything for me, I said to him, you know, I got to confess that you used to scare the living heck out of me. And he got very embarrassed and he said, and then these are the words that will stay with me forever. He said, everyone wants something from me. Once I trust you, I'll do anything for you. That was the lesson right there about people. Wow. Wow. That's, well, thanks for sharing that. And I, there's so many ways to tackle it. You've brought up trust uh, numerous times already in our conversation and perhaps you've already shined some light on more of the tactical how-to because I think sometimes we confuse trust as if it is a behavior in its own or sometimes to your point, maybe there's an ask of, think about the last time, when somebody needs to say, trust me, how often do you trust them? Right? Like, I think right. that's an interesting paradigm. But for you, yeah. part of your yeah. book, part of your message, part of the stories that you've shared already in our brief time together in this conversation, central theme has been trust. For all playmakers listening in right now, what are some of those how-tos if you were to give advice on how we can build trust with others? Well, I think it's a few things. And the, the, the first thing I would say to you, I'm, I'm going to go backwards a little bit or flip it upside down. Sure is that trust and building trust, I believe, is in every day. And this is this is straight out of small ball. Small ball are, are little elements that you really do every single day. Like think about those of us that are good at working out. I'm not one of them. It, it's part of your routine every day. Or if you meditate or if you, you know, whatever it is, you know, in your routine, if you're journaling or if... You know, those things, if you do them every single day, they become part of the muscle memory. It becomes part of who you do. And trust can be built. Even what I talked about before, I want to be the guy that walks into the room and I don't want anyone walking away. I can build trust just in doing that the right way. I don't need to say, trust me. I don't need to uh, to announce it. The players may not even know that I am doing that. But they'll feel it. They understand, or more importantly, they understand when you violate it. And so I think the, the number one thing to remember is that you have to work in some form or another at building trust with people every single day. Sometimes it, you don't have to do much of anything, but you could screw it up in a moment. And so I always like to say trust is almost like a, like a big water well uh, or, or, you know, or, or your bank account. And, and so, you know, eventually you run out of money. Eventually, you run out of water unless you continue to make deposits. So I'll give you this example. Like We've got a lot of guys that have played here in Kansas City that have moved on to other teams. That's the nature of the sport, right? And I may never need anything again from them. I may never even work with them again. 
But if I have their cell phone number and I see that they hit a big milestone or they got married or a family member passed away, I'm going to generally send a text and just say, hey, congrats or thinking about you. And that's it. And that's just a small deposit into there. And there, there's not an ask. There, but, it, but what I don't want to happen is that when that guy comes back to Kansas City in five years or he's coming back to play against Kansas City and I need something because I need an interview and this is the first time they've heard from me. Oh, well, now that's convenient right now. So I think that they are very small things in building trust that you could do every single day. And a lot of that is staying out of the way. A lot of that is giving people their space and not violating that trust. I like the point that you just made about if you have to say, trust me, then, you know, maybe something isn't right. But I'll I'll use a very real example here. I mean, you and I, Paul, have, I'd have to look at my notes. You may know it, maybe not. You and I were introduced to each other sometime last year. Right. And year plus, you know, we've got year plus and, you know, during the pandemic. And um, I think that that we I don't know that either of us, I think we probably both thought we'd be on a podcast with each other at some point. And I think that both of us sort of think that there might be some synergy there. We could do something together at some point. We don't necessarily know what that is. But I trust you based on our conversations. I also trust you based on the fact that when we haven't talked or when we've gone through uh, periods where we have, it's not like you and I are talking on a regular basis, that um, you've done nothing to make me feel like, oh, I don't want to take his call or, oh, here he goes again. And I think I've been the same way. And so there are little ways that you could do that to earn people's trust every day, sometimes by what you don't do. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's spot on. And yeah, I think where you and I also vibed, and maybe this is part of it as well, is the debate about success versus significance. If success is serving self versus significance is serving others, I have gotten a vibe of significance from you from day one. And then it's not only that, that shows me a higher probability and potential of a good heart, a great heart. But then I say, all right, so what does this guy geek out about? And besides that, we share the whole sports passion and you and I, we've been on the business side, right? Like me, a little bit more revenue driven yourself more in the broadcasting space. But then when you really understand the niche within that, like what gets Joel out of bed, it's actually very similar to what gets Paul out of bed. We geek out on leadership and culture. (laughs) So as soon as I knew those, I I actually, I remember this from one of the first, it might've been our very first conversation. And I said, so I speak on leadership and culture. And you said it respectfully, but you said, dude, those are the same thing. (laughs) You know, you, you look at leadership and culture all one in the same. And I agree. I mean, they're one degree removed. So let's dive into that space. Playmakers listening in. We all, when, when the world defines leadership, they usually attach it to rank, role, title, authority. I don't view it that way. My philosophy is before you lead others, you must first lead yourself. And so essentially, my opinion is we all have our own weather system, our own culture. We warm up a room or we cool it down the moment that we walk in. And so part of your piece is when we talk about culture, And you talk about building an unbeatable culture. What does that look like? What does that feel like? What are those cornerstones of culture that you take pride in and you would suggest every playmaker institutes them? Well, I I think to me, first and foremost, and let me get past the whole it's all about people because that's going to be the answer for everyone. It's going to get a little bit boring. But I do think in in expanding that, uh, a couple thoughts on this to, to begin with. One, when you talked about leaders, that could be anyone. Like you don't have to 100%. be the superstar. You don't have to be the CEO. How many role players have we seen that are lauded for their leadership abilities? You know, I mean, one of the guys that I talk about, I'll be really brief on this one, is is Raul Abanez, who who retired at 42 years old and was beloved by teammates, bilingual, home run hitter, treated everybody right. And, you know, by the end of his career, like many. He was, um, you know, he wasn't putting up a whole lot of stats anymore. I mean, the the Kansas City Royals, uh, after he was cut, brought him back. He had started his career with them um, for half of the season in 2014. And players on the team credit him for helping them uh, uh, clinch their first playoff berth in 29 years. His stats were 188 with two homers. So there's a huge reminder, first off, in, in that little story 
uh, that you don't have to be the top producer and that not everyone and everything needs to be measured by numbers or wins, even though I know we live in that world. And I think it's important from a leadership standpoint to recognize that and to understand that when you are building a good culture, and I think this is the problem that that say teams like the Yankees, or let's see what happens now with the Los Angeles Lakers. It's a little bit tougher, as you know, in football with, with the salary cap stuff. But how often, it works sometimes, but how often does that team just loaded with superstars actually work out? Sometimes, yes. But I, I think that when you, would you say are rarely, building though, There is more disappointing ends to those seasons of the super teams than there are raising a trophy, yeah. to your point. And I, I, I'm not the trolling type, but I, you know, every usually at least three days a year when the New York Yankees come to Kansas City and the crowd is almost, it feels like half Yankee fans who I make the same dumb joke on TV every single year about all the what folks welcome in to Kansas, <laughs> welcome in, I was just right on the air every year and until I come up with a better one, I'm just going to do it and it's just turning into a dad joke. But I said, want to welcome all the Yankee fans into town from faraway places like Manhattan, Kansas. They're 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 from this area, uh, you, you know. They're not coming in from New York, and it's easy to be a Yankees fan. I'm not knocking Yankees fans. I get the tradition, 27 World Championships, but the trolling that I'll do, and it's totally wrong, is and I'll say it too. Like, don't don't at me on Twitter. I understand you've won 27 championships. How many combined championships have the Kansas City Royals and the New York Yankees won in the last 20 years? Two. The Royals have one and the Yankees have one. I don't oh, say that. Well, there you I, go. I would, I would love to have a team like the Yankees that is competing for a title every year. I get that. It's a different discussion. However, the, the point to this discussion is that they bring in the biggest names and the biggest superstars every single year. And I'm not close enough to know what their culture is. But what I do know is that Having a bunch of superstars doesn't guarantee everything. Anyone in any profession can scout talent. We can look at it differently, but 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 you know who a superstar is. You know what it looks like. You know the guy that has the best arm. You know the guy that has you know the best physical tools. You know the guy that has the track record of the most sales. But what else do they have? What do they have on the inside? And how do you build that? And so I think that when you understand in an organization and you're focusing on culture or leadership or the same thing is, can you bring in people that understand their roles? One, two, can you bring in people that value the role of others? Because if, if you're just looking at this guy as, yeah, they're at the end of the bench or, oh, or, 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 oh, this is just the receptionist or this is just the janitor or this is just the whatever. And, you know, the I, I learned this from the Royals general manager, Dayton Moore, who's taught me a lot about culture. And, and he says to me that he takes inspiration from every person he, he walks up and down the halls with, that, that, that every one of them are leaders. Because when he walks in, maybe he's having a bad day and that, that, that security guard or, or the usher walks in and, and, you know, the parking lot attendant with a big smile and how are you doing? It reminds him that, you know what? Um, you know, I, I need to have that type of energy, too. So I think that you have to find value in everyone on your team or within your organization. And if you don't value every single person in their role, you're going to have some problems. So good, because I know one of the chapters in your book is called Every Role Matters, which is essentially what you just described. Ironically, the third out of five pillars of playing offense in my book is salute the long snapper, which is the exact same yes. thing. Not everybody in the world is the star quarterback. And guess what? Even if you're the quarterback in wearing one hat, let's say you're the CEO of a company. As soon as you go home, if you have young ones, they don't care about your title. You're back to being a long snapper. All right. So at the end of the day, there are way more role players in the world. The question is, do they feel like they matter? Do they feel like they have a seat at the table? Do they feel seen, valued, heard? Because if not, then you're only going to get 20, 40, 60 percent of their efforts. Nobody does more than the bare minimum when they don't feel cared for. And if they do it, we wonder why there's a paycheck driven over a purpose driven society. And that's actually where I want to go next. You are also a massive believer in purpose. And you brought up something a few moments ago that triggered a thought because I want to give you a shout out here. This was a massive win for your podcast. And I know there was some unique circumstances around it. But regardless, like you shared a stage, you shared an interview opportunity with Simon Sinek 
who many consider to be the godfather of purpose, if you will. He really started the movement around the why. So many of our playmakers are massive believers and massive fans of his. So you you asked him some questions about the infinite game, his most recent book, and how uh, the way it was described is uh, we're so obsessed, which you said also about winning and losing but maybe there's a different lens. So perhaps you could take us back to that sit down with Simon, whether it has to do with purpose, whether it has to do with infinite game, just top takeaways. Cause I, I, I think so many folks listening in are just massive believers in who he is and what he does. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the few people in the world that I have his Twitter and all of his social media on notification. Cause it drives me nuts when the phone is buzzing every single second in the society we live in. And, uh, you know, I, I, if I want to do that, I could be my 18 year old who has every alert of every game and everything going off. But Simon's one of them when the, when it comes out, I want to digest those words of wisdom. I was lucky enough during the pandemic, there is a, uh, an organization here in town called the Hellsberg Hellsburg entrepreneurial mentoring program. Uh, the, the, the Hellsberg name, if you heard of Hellsberg Diamonds and Barnett Hellsberg, who, who eventually sold that that company to um, um, to some guy named Warren Buffett in, in Omaha years ago. And so he Repeat has this the name, massive I might have heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Buffett, <laughs> uh, Jimmy Buffett. Warren, I don't know. And, you know, so they have these this high level mentoring program. I mean, I think everybody that's in that program is I, I don't know what the qualifications are in terms of their earnings. It's high. And, you know, they were pivoting like everybody else to to do their annual deal. And so they were going to do it virtual. And they asked me if I would moderate it. And there's a backstory that, you know, this is why you spend the time building relationships with people, because, you know, I had done that with that organization and some of the people and I'd had Barnett Hellsberg on and some others. And and I had said, if you guys ever need help with anything and and. I wasn't focused on what I could earn or, you know, how much I would get. I just wanted them to know that that I, I was available. And I felt like there could be a payoff just in who was in there. And so one of the two people that they they had me interview that day was Simon Sinek. And, and I was able and my only ask was, can I take you know, can I take a good chunk of this and turn it into a podcast to share with my audience? And, and then I was able to pull a little bit of that from the book as well. And as you know, and, and as your playmakers know, the, Simon's brilliant, right? And, but I think that there's, a, there's an initial message of you, you put yourself in a position for that. Most of us probably aren't going to be able to pick up the phone and call Simon Sinek because guess what? It's not easy to get to him. You got to go through people and they're going to, you know, they're going to protect him as they should. But, you know, I ended up learning so much from him that day uh, beyond just purpose. And, and, and I want to continue the discussion about purpose. But, you know, I even, I even changed around an element of small ball in my speech right now. I didn't specifically write about this in the book. And I changed an element that I talked about. I was talking about positive energy and I went to empathy. I was looking for an E word because he very brilliantly talked about empathy. And I'm carrying this with me all the time and sharing it with audiences now that I, I think I think our empathy amidst all of the noise and the chaos and the politics and the masks and the vaccines and the blah, 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 uh, that that we all at least understood during the pandemic that everybody was going through something that 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 everyone was in this together, whether they agreed with it or didn't agree with it. Life had changed. And so my my challenge to people and I, I was inspired by this from Simon is. Challenge yourself to to walk in someone else's shoes and say, what are they going through right now? And, and you don't know. And I've seen this for years. You've seen it for years in, in professional sports, too. Back to the whole pedestal thing. We, we put them on a pedestal and, and sometimes make this assumption that because they're making millions or because they can throw, you know, beautiful 70-yard touchdown passes because they're, they're the superstars, that, that that means they're immune from challenges and that they don't have stuff going on in their life. And so I think that you can, and this gets back to everything before, trust and, and, and everything I've talked about. When you can it's walk in someone else's shoes, yeah, then, so empathy's not new, right? I mean, I think that the, the pandemic put a spotlight on it, but my challenge to people going forward is, can you take that empathy? Can you take that, that, that desire to understand what others are going through uh, and, and, and take that beyond the pandemic? Because it's not going to stop in terms of people going through stuff. So that was the first thing. And then, you know, I think we've all been, um, you know, challenged by Simon Sinek to find our purpose. I, I think that, you know, when 
when you start asking what's my why, that's a tough exercise to do. It really is because you have to strip away. And I talk about purpose a lot in my speeches and in my book. You have to strip away money. You have to strip away, you know, taking care of your family. I mean, that's those could be goals. Those could certainly be rewards. But if you if you're passionate and not all of us are in what we want to be doing, I'm lucky enough that I am. I think you are, too. Why do we do what we do? You know, what? what's your purpose? And to what you said before, what gets you out of bed? I'm geeking out on all of this stuff now because what I'm finding is I have an ability to share it with others and help other people in their lives. And that gives me a much greater sense of purpose than what I do on TV. But I'll, I'll finish the thought with this. I, I have a lot of purpose on TV, too. And I never knew it when I got in. I just I was selfish, understandably, for good reason. This was my dream. And and I got in and I've climbed the ranks. And, you know, somehow, some way, I'm still in it after 26 years. But what I came to understand was that purpose is not your dream, right? I mean, finding your purpose may help you live your dream. And so when I learned that, it was like really when the Royals got good, you know, back-to-back world championship runs. It had been such a long drought. And I'd start hearing from people on social media overseas. Hey, watch the game last night on the uh, Armed Forces or American Forces Network. Uh, you know, it was three in the morning here. It was an unbelievable game. And I would think they lost 13 to nothing. And there was a three-hour rain delay. I mean, it was miserable. That's what was in my head. But then I think all they wanted was a piece of home. And I got to visit the troops. I took time off. I didn't take time off. It was a working trip. But I got to go over with George Brett and some others. I wrote about this in the book. Uh, over September 11th, 2018 to Kuwait, we're 15 miles from the Iraqi border. We're visiting multiple bases. And we are, I am reporting live during a Royals game, Chicago and Kansas City, at three in the morning over in Kuwait. And to see these men and women just wanting that piece of home and how much this meant to them made me realize being in that room with them there that someone's always watching. Someone's laying in a hospital bed that could give a rat's you-know-what about the result. Yes, I'd rather they win, but I have a job to do every single day. I have energy to bring every single day, whether they're in a 10-game losing streak or a 10-game winning streak, and someone, and it's more than one person, even if it's 3 in the morning and, and, and there's been all these rain delays, and we had a game that finished at 3.14 in the morning once too, and I think I made the mistake of saying, is anybody even awake? My Twitter blew up. Someone's always watching. And as long as someone's always watching, you, you have a chance to make an impact on their life. As we take a short break from today's interview, I'd like to share a quick reminder to check out the episode show notes on playmakerspod.com, where you will find a treasure trove of key insights, thought starters, and additional resources from today's conversation. Also, A quick shout out to our show sponsor, Audible, who is offering each and every playmaker a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com. With that, let's get back to the conversation. It's time to level up. All right, what started as a reflection piece about Simon, and I, I do love the empathy angle because... As you said, it's nothing new, but one of the philosophies that I was raised on, and I learned this actually at the Niners when we went through some uh, purpose principles and finding our hows and really how to apply it each day. And one of the guiding principles, if you will, was every seat has a story. And to your point, where my story connects to yours is we were initially thinking about our fans, whether in the stadium, overseas, and everybody in between. But then we got challenged to say, how many folks do you have working for the organization, which at that time, 250 to 300. And then the reflection piece and the aha was, are you putting as much attention to those 250 as you are about the 70,000 in the stands? And the transparent answer was at that time, no. But once we started to focus on now we understand through empathy that we are going to battle to understand the story within each seat 
because that is when people are going to step up and shine to their best. And then I think these are all connected to your point. Empathy is connected to trust, connected to purpose. Let's stay on purpose here. And by the way, Joel, are you familiar? Because something you said triggered this thought. Are you familiar with the Ikigai model? I'm not. So Ikigai in Japanese means a reason for being. And they have a really cool, everybody listening in, Google Ikigai. It's I-K-I-G-A-I. Google that. You'll come up with kind of a cool Venn diagram that's very popular. It's on Google Images everywhere. And there's four components. But the cool part is it's what order you tackle the outer components in. So first would be what you love. You could consider that your passions. The second thing is what are you great at? So think of that as like your strengths, your gifts, your talents. Then it goes into a little bit more of the external stuff. What is the world need so again are, are you are you solving a problem because if you are then that may be able to turn into something much bigger than a side hustle or passion project and lastly what will the world pay you for and what's interesting when you said joel let's put money to the side that's kind of the point of at least my interpretation of ikigai was focus on the economics last because if you lead with what will the world pay me for it's a paycheck it's a job it may not even turn into a career, but if you want to find your purpose and your calling, go in the order that I described it in. So just wanted to share that out for all playmakers. Double down on the Ikigai model, and I think there's some hidden gems if you go through that reflection. So go ahead, Joel. I'm really glad that you mentioned it. One, I, you know, and I think an element of small ball too, this is not, I didn't write a whole lot about this, but it just popped into my head. It's an obvious one, but it's a good reminder is we should all be learning something new every single day. And, you know, I say it every time, like I, I, I've been, nothing really phases me on TV anymore. I've got good days, bad days, good segments, bad, bad segments. I screw up every day. I hit it other times. Uh, none of it really phases me because I've experienced failure and success for so long. But I always want to learn, whether it be from my mistakes or something happens in a game that I've never seen before. And, you know, so that was just one of those moments for me right now is I, I had not heard of this and so I immediately Googled it as you were saying it. I found the, you know, the model with the four circles and I've screenshotted it. Um, so that's the first thing because I want to be able to reference back and look at it. But I also feel like I am I, I'm I'm doing much of what this philosophy spells out. Uh, and and mm, I think by design. But that that piece, that last piece is you are paid for it, Right. And we often can get in our way, often out of necessity, often out of necessity to say, look, I need the money or, you know, I, I, I don't have the time or the ability to do what I love or I don't know what I or maybe what I'm great at. They don't pay me for. And so, you know, I think we're all on that journey every single day. But when I look at this, you know, I I, I don't know if I'm great at it or not, but I feel very comfortable and I, I feel very confident in my abilities now as a speaker. I really love it. I didn't know that that was going to be the case when I started it. And I continue to see all types of groups that need it. And guess what? They're starting to pay me for it. They're starting to pay me more for it. And, and But, you know, early on, I found myself more thinking about what's it worth? How much do I charge? You've been through this. Uh, is anybody going to pay me? Did I get, you know, did I get screwed on a deal? And you know what? When you could push that part aside and focus on the other things, then the rest of it follows. It just does. And this isn't blind faith. This is this is belief in yourself and process, you know. And then I said before, putting the cart before the horse. How often do we start adding up the money before it comes in? Well, if I do this and this, it'll eat, you know, I'll get that. And I always thought when I was younger... Uh, when I was waiting to see what I get, you know, this off-season gig to announce this game. And, well, if I get five of these and it'll pay for this. And, the, and then I used to think, well, if I start adding it up, I'm jinxing it. And so that was more of a superstitious thing. I can't count the money before it comes in. But that was wrong. Where I was right, I just, it was misplaced, was that that's the last piece. You can't focus on that too much. And so you just got me thinking about this. And I think that you love it. You are great at it. The world needs it. Those are all pieces that if figured out, the rest will take care of itself. One million percent. And also to double down on what you said about the cash. And so you think about the economics in advance. I also have seen and heard from a lot of thought leaders. And frankly, now that I apply it to my life, have you ever heard, Joel, the phrase of I'll be happy when? 
<laughs> so we, we think of some future state and then you think I'll be happy when I get the raise, I get the promotion, I get the house, I get the, I find the one or I hopefully find the one. That one's actually true. <laughs> but for the rest, you know, you think about them and largely they're in many cases, they're material. And you think I'll be happy when, and then you get at the top of that mountain and it is so unfulfilling and you look around and you say, this is it. Right. Like it's that kind of core key principle of life. So let me ask you this, brother, as we come down the home stretch here, a few more softballs for you. So you have the blessing of being around some really cool people. I mean, just a byproduct of the job, just like I used to be in the NFL and NBA 15 years. You're rubbing shoulders and shaking hands and doing all that stuff with some uh, what folks would call household names and celebrities. So I want to ask you. If you could. Let's say I give you a scenario where you set a dinner table and you could have dinner with, you could pick three people dead or alive. Who would you invite to that dinner party and what would you want to learn from the conversation? That's such a tough question. So let me, let me tackle it. And I suppose that if you ask it to me again, the next six days, I'll come up with different (laughs) answers every single time. Right. Because I mean, there, there aren't just three. Should we, should we stick to the sports world just to no no i literally this is i'm the genie i'm delivering you three folks that are alive into the setting of your choice Mm. most important is you're getting the perfect three people for you okay here's where my mind goes at least with a sports figure and he's alive so if he's if he's listening or watching i just you know i i would love i've never met him but i i'd love to have charles barkley at the table and I, I, I suppose that would be the entertainment element of it. But I mean, it's more than that. And I, I grew up outside of Philadelphia before moving to Chicago. So, you know, I was Dr. J. Of course, Michael Jordan came in and Barkley. And but I just, you know, how many of us and I, I know that sometimes he says some things he shouldn't say, but Which how many of, of us attraction? No. It's part of the attraction. But. But I I don't think it's ever from a a malicious place either. If it was from a malicious place, he wouldn't have survived. You know, you you can be, say, the things he does and and get away with it if you have a big heart. And and, and I think he does. It's coming from the right place. I don't know him. But I I just, one, we would laugh, right? And two, I just, and I've heard, I've, I've, I've met some athletes that played with him and said he just, he'll take care of anyone in terms of former teammates and, and has a heart of gold. So I would want him there. And I think that there's just an, an element that all of us can learn from him too, of, of speaking our minds and, um, you, you know, not being afraid to do so. I mean, we all live under probably more rules than we'd like, or some of them self-imposed and he doesn't seem to do that. So I, I, I like the freedom there. I think number, number two, I'm just trying to think of transformational figures with courage uh, there could be so many of them. I, I think I'd love to see Martin Luther King Jr. sitting at that table with me. So now you got the leadership and the vision of an MLK along with the humor of a Charles Barkley. I think you'd have a, a lot of great balance there. And if we're going to go with a third, uh, I already have a great leader in MLK, so I don't necessarily need a second one. I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, could we go with a Winston Churchill or a JFK or someone like that? But how about uh, since I, you know, I, I think I've in some form or another met most living baseball players. I've not met Willie Mays. I missed on Hank Aaron, which I regret. Um, so I, 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 to me, I'd be interested in Hank Aaron, but I think let's go with Babe Ruth. I mean, or it could be Jackie Robinson. Uh, Satchel Paige would be pretty amazing. Um, He's buried here in Kansas City. They just had his Hall of Fame plaque here. Um, I'm going to go with Babe Ruth. Let me ask you, out of the options you just said, out of the options you just said, what what would you want to learn from Babe Ruth or what? What's the purpose? Because I, I love the response and I love every other name you said, of course. But since that was your initial reaction, what attracted I you to I think I would just be, I think I would just, and this is just more, I think just interest and curiosity for me. I mean, he was, he was a legend. He was the household name. 
right? I mean, I always say that when someone could be known as just one name, you know, babe, um, uh, um, the Madonna, I don't know, you know, Prince, uh, you know, those one name where you don't need, you know who they're talking about. In Jordan's case, it's just MJ, right? Uh, uh, I just would be interested to, to know what, to want to know what it was like to be an icon back in that time, you know, without the TV, without all that stuff. Because I believe that if, if that same guy was here today, I think he'd be the same icon. The world's obviously totally different. I just would really want to dig in and find out what it was like to be in his shoes back then versus what it's like right now. It's just a curiosity thing. Beautiful. Yeah. So we've got Bambino. We've got MLK. Uh, just so good, man. And then Charles Barkley, Sir Charles. I don't know. I, 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 it's a balance. That, that's. I think that's a balanced list. Yeah. I, again, I, I, I could, you got I a could, melting pot there, Joel. Yeah, you got yeah, a melting pot. I think pot. I could come I, up I'm with it. a thousand. I can come up with a thousand more, and I, I will next time. I don't know. <laughs> it's all good, brother. All right. So before the final question, playmakers, you have attracted a massive fan base, massive intrigue today. There's an entire tribe and community that are now fans of Joel Goldberg. Where can we find you? Where can we follow you? I'm all over all the social media. So I I know Twitter is more baseball stuff. It's going to be probably a little bit more detailed news of the day. That may or may not be for people. So Goldberg KC, Instagram, Joel Goldberg KC. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there. You know, shoot me a message, connect. Uh, And the website is joelgoldbergmedia.com, which as we're recording right now, I'm about two, I'm exactly two weeks out from the launch of a brand new website. So uh, really excited about that. And uh, yeah, that's it. Fantastic. All right. Grand finale. And then we'll do the mic drop here. Everything in your life, taking care of finances, family, everybody is in good health, good spirits. Everything's taken care of. You literally have a blank canvas. You get to author your story here. So if you could dedicate your life and spend the rest of your time working toward one thing, what would it be? I think, you know, and even beyond the the speaking where I do feel like, and I know you know this feeling too, where it's, it's so rewarding to be able to get in front of people and, and then hear that feedback that you help them and make their lives better. I think just doing doing more work within my community, which would be in Kansas City, in terms of, of urban areas, in terms of underprivileged, in terms of minorities, in terms of just trying to trying to, uh, you know, help with more equality and more access. And, you know, you talked before about your your friend growing up. I think I think you said his name was Vincente. And um, and that was a very powerful lesson that, that you learned. And I, you know, I don't know that I saw as much of that when I was a kid. Some, same thing, maybe didn't recognize it, but you recognize it now. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to do some mentoring and, you know, the, the young Vincente, so to speak, of the world. The, I think that the more success you have, the greater your platform becomes. And so I don't know what that looks like other than I hope one day I have the opportunity to make um, beyond something financially, just some kind of an impact, a lasting impact in the community. There are a lot of people already doing that. I'd like to be one of them to continue doing that. Super cool. Well, you just said impact. This show is Playmakers Impact Unleashed. And there's no doubt in my mind and on behalf of all Playmakers, you've helped us level up. Thanks so much, Joel, for being on Playmakers. I appreciate it, Paul. Loved what you just heard? Share it with another Playmaker. And if you gain significant value from today's episode and genuinely feel that you have leveled up, would so appreciate if you gave us a five-star rating. For all of today's show notes, head over to playmakerspod.com where you can not only enjoy additional resources from this show, but all previous episodes as well. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in from. And on a personal note, I'd love to connect one-to-one. Hit me up anytime on LinkedIn at Paul Epstein or Instagram at Paul Epstein Speaks. Playmakers is produced by Detroit Podcast Studios in collaboration with Purpose Labs. Wishing you a high-impact week of action and purpose. See you next time on Playmakers.